just the it's going to be really hard for me once we start especially once we get past chapter 12 to go fast because there's so much 13 through I don't know probably 18 or so is going to be just Jesus teaching his disciples and so to go so fast to take a chapter at a time with those is going to be hard because there's just so much in there so just letting you know all right let's pray and then we'll start lord we love you father thank you for just allowing us to be here thank you for giving us the gift of your son and uh, just uh, lord the joy of knowing that uh, that he he rose from the dead for our for our benefit god for our justification so that we uh, can also arise from the dead so that we have defeated death in him and that we can be seen as righteous before you in him father we ask that you would guide us today as we look at uh, this story in, in the gospel of john and that you would uh, you would teach us what you'd have us to know today we love you and thank you for all that you do in jesus name amen okay so i think chapter 12 we're just going to do 11 verses in chapter 12 and it's all about what you treasure most what you know uh i often use the example if uh you know if like an alien showed up in your living room and they just observed you for a week and observed you know you go to work you go home you go do this what would they say is the most important thing in your life um, would they say that it was Christ, this guy named Christ, this person named Jesus that they worship and live for? Or, you know, I, I heard it said one time that if an alien showed up in most people's lives, you know, and, and they didn't know he was there and they were just watching and observing and all that, uh, they would say that this box that has pictures on it in their living room is what they worship. They gather around it every night and they spend the night there, you know, watching these pictures in the, in the living room and so this is going to show us four different people and each each four is going to teach us something about what we treasure most uh we're going to see martha very quickly we're going to see mary we're going to see lazarus and we're going to see judas what they treasure most and you may find it uh, you may find it may find it surprising what they treasure now if i said what you what do you treasure most in your life being that we're in Sunday school and it is Easter, what is probably going to be your answer? Jesus. Yes, you're going to say it's Jesus. But the reality is that there is uh, evidence in your life as to what you treasure most. Whether you, you know, and, and people can be self-deceived. They can really think, you know, I had a one guy to tell me one time that, you know, he was just doing all kind of things. It just didn't add up, and of course, I'm not the judge of anybody, but when I go to ask him because I'm concerned, it's like, well, God knows my heart. I know these things are wrong, and, but God knows, you know, God knows deep down that, you know, I really, you know, I really love him and everything, but that's kind of uh, counterintuitive when you think, I mean, if you had a woman that her husband was beating her, like slapping her around and whatever, and then he would come back and say, you know, I'm sorry, I really love you. And he would do that like twice a week. And the woman came to you for counseling. Would you say, well, he probably really does love you on the inside. Probably, would you say that? No. Okay, yeah, probably not. Probably I not. I used to work with a woman like that. We knew when she got in line with it work. 
Really? If she got flowers, she got... She I'm, got a beat tonight. She got beat tonight before. And y'all knew that just by working with her? Well, I'm going to quit sending my wife flowers. Maybe you're thinking I done beat her up or something. <laughs> so anyway, there'll be evidence in your life. So let's read this passage. It's really a picture of what you treasure most. Um, and the first thing you see, verse uh, 1, it says, Then Jesus, in chapter 12, verse 1, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany. That's six days before He would be crucified. Where Lazarus was... Uh, where Lazarus was which had... Is that what that says? Yes. Where Lazarus was which It's where had, Lazarus was, which had been dead. Oh, where Lazarus was, which had been dead. Yes, proper uses of commas. Uh, whom he raised from the dead. There they made a supper. They made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Now, in, this, in these two small little verses, you can see a picture of what Jesus treasured. Most of all, you remember what we talked about last week, what happened? What was Jesus going through now? They were out to get him. They were out to kill him. Uh, this thing about raising Lazarus from the dead, that was the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, now all these people were saying he's saying he's the Messiah. They were they were trying to seek after him, to follow after him. And the Pharisees decided we've got to kill this guy. We've got to kill him. We've got to be after him. So they put the word out. That you know we want we want him taken into custody, and it says, "Well, look, just look above that in ver- chapter eleven, in verse 54. It says when when they said they were going to kill him, it says Jesus therefore walked no more openly among the Jews, but went into the country near to the wilderness, into a city called Ephraim, and there he continued with his disciples. Well, here in Bethany, in chapter twelve, he's come back." He's come back, not only has he come back openly where the the Jews were, but he's come back openly to the same exact site that he... That he performed the miracle that rose Lazarus from the dead. So he, he, this is it's showing that he is this last week. Jesus is going to go back into the public eye. He's going to go back into the public sphere. He's going to uh, right after this, we're going to see about the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, where all the people were hailing him and all that. He is uh, he's making himself known, knowing that Pharisees are out to kill him. That the Pharisees have put the word out that if anybody knows where he is, you better tell us where he is uh, because. We're after him. And so Jesus, what you see here is Jesus, it seems to me if we're talking about what you treasure best, and we're going to get to that in a second, Jesus treasured you and he treasured the Father's will for you over all things because really all he had to do was keep on hiding out in the countryside, you know, and, you know, maybe, I don't know what would have happened, but he he came back to Bethany to the exact site that really caused him all this trouble. We're going to see here in a few in a few verses uh, that uh, they wanted to kill him because they wanted to kill Lazarus too because he was the one that was raised from the dead. And so this had caused them all this all this trouble. And Jesus came back back into harm's way uh, because he knew that it was time. It was time for him to go to the cross. It was time for him to go and reveal himself to Jerusalem. It was time for him to to go and do the Father's will. So the one thing that you see is that. Jesus Jesus treasured uh, the Father's will 
to do what He was there to do, to make a sacrifice for all of us to come into the faith, for all of His disciples to come into faith, to pay for all of our sin. To, you know, He knew that that was coming, and uh, He chose. I, hate, I heard some on the radio the other day that said, uh, I don't think it's fair that a father would let, would, you know, uh, give his son to pay the debt for somebody else. Like if you were in a courtroom and like me and Jacob are in a courtroom and there's a murderer over there and I said, uh, Judge, excuse me, uh, my son's going to take his place. And the son's like, oh, what? He said, that's not fair. That's actually, you know, evil. But the reality was that Jesus didn't, he wasn't shoved onto the cross by, by the Romans or the Jews or even by his father. He went willingly. He said, no one takes my life. I lay it down. I lay it down. And that was because the father and the son loved us so much, loved the world so much. Y'all got that so far? So let's look at these next. That's Jesus. Let's look at these four people and how they treasure Christ. Uh, in verse three. three, no. In verse two, it says Martha served. Let's not pass by that. Do you remember the last time Martha served and Mary sat at Jesus' feet? What happened? She got upset. Martha got upset. Why? She's doing all the work. Here, it's it's pretty much we're going to see the same thing. We're going to see Martha serving. It's really, that's all it says in verse 2 is that Martha served. And then you're going to see Mary anointing Jesus for his burial. But this time, it seems like Martha's attitude is a little different. What's different about it? Her heart. Huh? I know, but explain. Because she, oh, go ahead. Well, just because of what happened last time. Yeah, but describe describe how she is different than the last time. She's willingly wants to do this. She doesn't feel like it's something she has to do. And she's not complaining. She's serving. So who you think Martha that's a good it's a good indication of what Martha's heart treasures. Her heart treasures Christ because she's giving of herself to serve. Uh, in the midst of all this, you know, the feast is going on and all this is going on. And it's just an exciting time. And Jesus has come back to Bethany. And uh, I think I can't prove this. And so you can't disprove it either. So it doesn't matter. But uh, I think that Mary and Martha knew even better than Jesus' disciples that he was about to go to the cross and that he was about to die. You know, and I, there's reasons for that. But I mean, that's just my opinion. I can't can't really prove that but um, Martha served Christ the treasure in Christ above all things it will it will manifest itself in service the person who says that I treasure Christ above all things he is the love of my life and they have no no area in their entire life where they serve Christ is that what would you say I mean we can't be the judge but what would you say something's fishy Something strange. If there's nowhere where I serve Christ, nowhere where I'm actively doing His will, where I'm trying to follow His His commands, where I'm trying to help the people that He loves, you know, uh, I the one of the reasons why I have trouble with folks that say I love Jesus but I don't go to church is because Jesus, Jesus, the church is Jesus's bride. 
That's who Jesus loves. Is the church perfect? No. Has it got knuckleheads in it? Yes. Has it got people that want their own way? Is it messy and people have fights and feuds? Yes, of course it is. That's just who we are. But like if you came up to me and you said, Jason, I really love you. You are the bestest in the world. You'd probably you'd be right, but if you said that, you know, you're just great, and I want to hang out with you, and I want to learn from you, and I want to just get to know you. Uh, but that, but Dana, you just need to leave her butt at home because I don't even like being around her. She's just, you know, my reaction to you would probably be, well, if you don't accept her, then you you don't accept me. Either. Because she, it's a package deal, you know. She, she is, she is who I love, and if you don't love her, then you can't be in fellowship with me. And so Jesus is the same way with his church. That's right. You, you can thank so me later. Good. She goes, "Oh, that's the first time she heard you say that." I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, got, I got a sweet side in me. It's, it's way down in there, but it's there. That's every Easter. Yeah, every Easter. That's right. So don't expect it again. She was like, well, you don't ever tell me you love me. I said, well, if anything changes, I'll let you know. I told you once before. <laughs> anyway, you, you see the point? So I told you when we got married. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Uh, the point is, the point is that you can't, you can't love Christ and be devoted to Christ and serve Christ and say, I hate what Christ loves. Does that make sense? I mean, like, you're, that's Christ's bride. You know, and He loves her. He, get, he loves her so much. I say her, the bride, the church. He loves her so much that He gave Himself for her. And for a person to come along and say, well, me and Jesus got it going on, but I really don't care nothing about His church. That's like saying, you know, I love the husband, but the wife needs to go take a hike. You know, and so I just can't see Martha serving and so I can't see a treasuring of Christ, a devotion to Christ that that uh, ostracizes the one thing that Christ loves more than anything else in the world. He loves his people. You know. So that's one way that we treasure Christ. The second way is the focus of the passage. It's Mary. Let's read what Mary did. It says, verse 3 said, Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, which was perfume, and very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Two things about Mary. She treasured Christ above money, I guess, would be the best way to put it with us. Um, later on, Judas is going to say that this pound of perfume, and this is this is perfume, like... So if, I mean, or if you had cologne or whatever and I dumped it right here on the floor, it would smell like that cologne for weeks, probably. You could clean it up and it would still reek. I mean, it, you were talking about strong perfume, like you would take a bottle of your perfume and just dump it out. You know, you, most, my dad taught me you just do a little dab, you know. <laughs> Not with perfume, but with cologne. It's like, little, you know what I mean? But you ever met that person that just wears too much? It's like, you know, and it burns your nose and stuff. So this is stout stuff. And she dumped the whole pound on Jesus' feet to anoint his feet. And Judas is going to tell us a little later that it was worth 300 
the word is denarii. It's 300 pence in the, in, the, in the English. But the word is denarii. And three, one denarii in that day was a day's wages for labor. Okay, so think if you did minimum wage. What's minimum wage? Like seven? Yeah, whatever. If you did that for 300 days, it would be upwards 12 hours a day is what they worked back then would be $25,000. So you got you a bottle of perfume worth $25,000. That's if you make minimum wage. Now some of y'all make more, I'm sure most of y'all make more than minimum wage. Think about, it. you're talking at least, you're talking mostly, you know, 300, 300 days is a good part of a year. You're talking about a year's salary for a person. So whatever that is for you, you just think of that. That's how much this cost Mary. And she dumped it. She dumped it right out on his feet, and um, she treasured she treasured Jesus so much that it was almost like this was whole, it was set up deal. They came and they gave him a supper, and like they knew that they you know Mary's going to come in and she's going Lazarus was there at the supper and she's going to dump this on his feet. Back then, it was a sign of of hospitality and respect that you would usually what would happen was you would all come in for supper and you just think about it back then was a time when people really didn't take a whole lot of baths and so you know you've been walking all day or whatever and you're kind of stanky you know in the, in the the hot sun or whatever and they would come they would put this perfume this ointment this anointing oil they would put it and usually what would happen they would put a dab and put it on your forehead and that way everybody can sit around the table and we can eat and talk and laugh and we can smell perfume instead of B.O. What did so they just take? Huh? What did they just wash more? Why didn't they wash more? Why didn't they just well, because there was no running water. Like the women had to go out to the well every day to get water to bring back for the house. And, you know, I mean, it's a small price. Huh? It's a small price to be Yeah, well, I agree, but... Really, if you go most places in the world, it's still like that. Like, you know, Africa, South America, you, you know, it's, you know. And, and the bad thing about it, if you go out of the country, you know how we have, like, personal space? Like, this is my personal space. They don't have personal space. You know, it's like when they talk to you, it's like right here. So anyway, what was supposed to happen was it would be hosp- hospitable to come and dab the guests with perfume and, you know, wash the feet and that kind of thing to get ready for supper. And and so Mary comes in with a whole pound, 16 ounces of this expensive ointment, this expensive perfume. And she doesn't just dab it on Christ. She pours it over his whole, pours it all over his feet. You can imagine what the house would smell like. It says... <clears throat> Verse 3, uh, at the end of verse 3, it says, And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. She treasured him more than, more than, I mean, it's more than a year's salary. Uh, how many of us, I mean, how many people actually even, I mean, much less a year's salary, but just give of our money for, you know, whatever. Whether it's tithing here at the church or whether it's investing in God's kingdom somewhere else or whether it's missions or whether it's whatever. Most of us 
Most of us don't even, don't even register as to what the kind of gift that Mary gave. Uh, the kind of gift that she gave, she treasured. And I believe that Mary knew that he was going to the cross because later he said she did this because of, um, she kept this for my burial, for my, uh, for my death. And so I, I believe she knew that this was going to be the last opportunity that she would get, you know, to, uh, to do something extravagant for him, to treasure him more than all other things. And, and she, broke the vial and then poured this all over her feet. Not only that, she treasured him more than her own dignity. Because it says that she wiped his feet with her hair. See what I mean? For a Jewish woman to unbind her hair in public, it was a big no-no. Uh, it was disgraceful and it was grounds for divorce. If, if a Jewish woman had her hair unbound in public, her husband could divorce her. For lewd behavior, you know. So here comes Mary, unbinds her hair in the midst of all this, all this uh, deal. And not only does she unbind it, but she uses it to wipe her hair. Uh, some people probably could have sat around the table. I mean, if they weren't friends of Christ or disciples of Christ, and thought, "Who? How disgraceful that this woman would do this!" But she, she treasured Christ above. The cost of the perfume, she treasured Christ above the, the cost of her own standing, her own dignity, her own, you know, people would talk about her. People would say, oh my goodness, how could she do this? That's not inappropriate for her to do this thing. And, and so washing your feet, not to mention washing somebody's feet is like the lowest task you could possibly do. I mean, imagine, it's not like us, like when we have a foot washing and like if I'm gonna wash Doug's feet, I'm gonna take his shoes off and his feet. I mean, they may stink or whatever, but they do. <laughs> Doug, he loves you, man. What are you gonna do with it? But they're basically clean. See what I mean? Now, <laughs> no, not clean. Okay, imagine if Doug wore sandals and walked everywhere he went through dust and mud and dirt. I mean, when you showed up to the house. Your feet would be pretty nasty. It'd be pretty nasty. They didn't have no shoes. They had sandals and all that. And it was like, not to mention foot cheese, but just mud, cake in between your toes. And... I don't think they had odor eaters back then. No, it wasn't no odor eaters. I had a friend of mine go to uh, South Africa. Uh, not, not actually a friend of mine, a guy I know. <laughs> I would say he's my friend. I don't know what he'd say. But this is a guy that I know that went to South, Af South Africa. He was telling me about his trip. And he said, uh, he said that when you step off the plane, you got to have an extra pair of nostrils. Because them first ones just get burnt off right there. <laughs> you know? that because it's not like here. It's just not like here. And so you imagine being in the first century, you know, and and there's no running water. There's no, you know, there's wells and things like that. But um, it, it was, it was, it, it went from just being a regular dinner to all of a sudden the house is filled with this perfume, this ointment, this this, you know, wonderful smell. And this was, it was Mary's worship. It was Mary's devotion to Christ. It was her uh, laying her, she basically laid her honor 
by unbinding her hair and dumping all this on the seat. She laid her honor at Jesus' feet. She laid, laid her, uh, you know, everything that she had at Jesus' feet. And uh, her devotion filled the house. A week later, uh, I'm, I'm kind of just embellishing the story here. I don't know these things to be true for sure. But I would imagine even a week later when Jesus was on the cross... And then three days later, when Jesus rose from the dead, the the smell of that ointment, the smell of that perfume still was in the house. You could walk in and still smell the devotion <clears throat> that Mary had given. So when we are devoted to Christ, when we devote all things to Christ, when He is the center of our life, when He's the center of our worship, uh, everybody around us can see it. Uh, it's impossible to be a disciple of Christ, uh, following after Him, loving Him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and people around us not see it. People around us not experience it. Now, I'm not talking about carrying a Bible into Walmart and everybody you pass by smacking them in the face with it, telling them they're going to hell or something like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about the way that you act, the way that you talk, the way that you interact with people. You know, um, I'll give you a perfect example of, uh, I don't mean, I ain't do nothing special. and uh, Well, I could have. But anyway, I was driving home from the hospital. I was like squirrel. Uh, and I was driving, and this person, I was in left lane. I was going fast. And this person just moved over like I, I had to get off into the median in my little HHR. You know, my little me me, you know. <laughs> and I'm talking about I went off into the me, into the median, this front wheel drive, so it didn't, didn't slide the back end didn't slide, but the front wheels were sliding, and it was hard for me to get, and I just laid on the horn, you know, and then I ended up getting back on the road, and I was right behind them, and I, they were all tinted windows, so I couldn't see if they were looking at me or not, but I was thinking, this would be a perfect time that people should have a phone in their car, and the license plate should be the phone number, and then I would call them, and then I let them know what's going on, but... I didn't, and then they got over, and I went past them, and I just didn't even look at them, because I was thinking, you know, I really wanted to, you know. Yeah, we all know where you're going. You know what I'm saying? But I... Huh? I followed them kind of close, you know, for a little ways, but then, you know, I was... But what I'm saying is, I'm, what I'm saying is, and the re- let me tell you what, I'm not just that awesome a person, a wonderful Christ follower. I know it. Uh, hey, I'm telling you, the reason why I did that is because I was on my motorcycle one time, and this guy pulled out in front of me. Like it was one of the deals where I'm coming down the road, and I'm coming down the road, coming down the road, and the guy's waiting at the stop sign. And he's just waiting, waiting, and I'm coming down the road. And then I get like eight feet from the stop sign, he pulls out in front of me. And we pull up to the stop sign, and I had a helmet on, and I pulled up next to him, and I flung that helmet up, and I said, Are you stupid? What's wrong with you? You almost killed me. And I mean, I just let him have it, right? And then like four weeks later, he showed up in church, and, and I'm on the stage, blame my guitar, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry and all that, you know. And so I'm a little more.
more careful that now, but what I'm saying is your what? It really, I mean, yeah, it was bad. I mean, to have to go to apologize to somebody like, Brother Jason, will you pray for us? And I'm thinking, this guy's knowing I done, I done blessed him out on, on, the, on the highway. I didn't cuss him out. I just gave him, anyway. What, how, how did I even get on this part? Yeah, we're talking about Mary here. We're not talking about me. Mary was devoted to Christ. She treasured Him above all things. She... Uh, she spared no expense to uh, she wanted to give to Christ. What are some things that we give to Christ? Our time. Our time. To study. Our study. How's that given to Christ? It is, but just tell me how. Sacrificing what you, what other things you could be doing, yeah, just for learning about him or letting him teach you things. Yeah, spending time with it. You love who you spend time with. What else? Money. Money. You can always give Christ your money. Does Christ need your money? No. No. And when you offer it, you shouldn't be told, "I'll do this." Huh? When you what? You offer it, you shouldn't be told. I don't need this. When you offer it, you should. Never, never go on. Go on. Go on. I missed it. Yeah, you did. That must be a story. You shouldn't. You shouldn't need this. I don't know. Okay, she gave you some money. You said I don't need this. Oh, that was for me though. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> oh. No, that was for the the Easter eggs. I said we already had it. We are, it was done, it was done deal. Anyway, okay. If you want to teach me a lesson, you have to spell it out plainly because I don't. I'm, write it down. Yeah, write it down. Hanging around a sign around my neck. Hey, she. What are some other things you give Christ? Our praise. Praise, worship. Money, praise, worship, time. Huh? Yourself. Obedience. Obedience. Worship. Service. Okay? Those are things that we do give Christ. Now, nobody answer, not asking, but this week, how much of any of that have you given Christ? And I'm going to ask myself too. Now, if we move on, it says it says in verse four, we're going to talk about a different treasuring. What are some things that we treasure other than Christ in our lives? Ourselves. Ourselves. What else? Family. Family. Money. Money's a big one. Huh? Your time. You're stingy with your free time. That's that would be me. I'm, I like my free time. Work, your business, your job, materialistic things, anything that I can get, I can gain. Is there anything else, huh? Your friends. What? No, we do not treasure. If you treasure your goat more than Christ, we are. It's an. It's a what? Yeah. Okay. Entertainment. Entertainment. Yes. Yes. Everything that has been said, money, family, friends, everything, boils down to yourself. 
love myself. I love my entertainment. I love money because I get it. I love my friends because they make me happy. I love my family because they make me, you know, whatever. It all boils down to one thing, and that's self. You either treasure Christ above all, or you treasure yourself above all. And that's what Judas did in verse 4. It says, Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the turn the page, poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag, the money bag, and bear what was put therein, meaning he took out what was put therein. Judas treasured himself more than he... I mean, think about this. I've got the ointment in my hand. You know, a pound of this nard perfume. And Mary pours it out on Jesus' feet. Basically, Judas says, Mary, you wasted that by giving it to Christ. You wasted that by pouring it out on Christ. It could have done so much more good out somewhere else. Now, did Judas really care about what was... He didn't care about using it. He wanted to have it in the bag so he could take it for himself. He wanted to. He wanted what was given to Christ to be given to him, to be available for him to steal it, basically, is what he wanted. He treasured himself. He wanted to... The best way to boil it down is there are people like Mary who say, I want to just know what I can give Christ. I want to know what I can give Him. I want to know what He wants me to do. I want to hear His voice. I want to, you know, be in fellowship with Him. I want to give everything for Him. And then there are people like Judas that say, I want what Jesus has. I want whatever He's got. I want Him to make me happy. I want Him to make me healthy. I want Him to make me blessed. I want Him to give me joy. I want Him to make me, you know, that's what Judas wanted. I want you to sell the perfume, put the money in the bag, then we'll go help the poor, and I'll be able to dip into the bag and get out what I need for myself. So you see that you're either, you're either treasuring Christ by giving to Christ, whatever it may be, tithes, your money, your service, your worship, your praise, your free time, your study time, whatever. You can, you're either giving to Christ or you're taking from Christ. You're saying, I want this, I want that. I don't want to, I don't want to give Christ any money. I don't want to, and when I say that, I'm talking about his bride, his church. It doesn't have to be this church. It could be the church down the road. It could be wherever, wherever it is you fellowship at, you should be invested there. Uh, it could be service, it could be you know your your time, it could be your your fellowship with him, it could be your your working for him, you're doing you know missions work or or Family help work or or just mercy, you know, mercy work like, you know, helping old ladies or building ramps for, you know, we've done it before for people's houses or just whatever. Whatever it is that you do, you do it for Christ. You're either giving to Christ like Mary did or you're taking from Christ like Judas was doing. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? There really isn't a middle ground. And I say that because most people think that if I'm in neutral, I'm not doing either one. That's not true. If you're in neutral, you're taking. 
Because you are expecting blessings from God, you're expecting goodness from God, or you're just enjoying goodness from God. You're enjoying the comfort of being alive, the comfort of, you know, all my bills are paid, you know, I've got, I know where my food's coming from, I got, you know, it's just all good, I'm going to hang out and watch Netflix and just, you know, whatever. That's taking, that's taking, there's nothing wrong with those things, so I'm not saying if you, you know, watch Netflix or whatever, go have fun at the baseball game that you're taking. But I'm saying that if if all I do is want Christ to give me and I give nothing, then what I'm doing is I'm treasuring myself over Christ. And then what happens when suffering comes? And it always comes. What's my first question? How could you do this to me? You know, it's the way it always works. He wanted, Judas wanted from Jesus. And he had some awesome spiritual excuses. If you were sitting at the table when Judas said that, you might have been, if Jesus wouldn't have piped in right after, you might have said, yeah, you know what? We could have helped a lot of poor people with that money. You know, he had a good excuse. He had a good spiritual excuse as to why Jesus wasn't worthy of that sacrifice being dumped upon him. But Jesus is going to evaluate both Mary and Judas's priorities in the but next verse. He also shows a great example of playing church. You know, he walked with Jesus. He fellowshiped with Jesus. He even said, like you said, a religious thing. We should give this to the poor. But that's not what his heart was. Right, right. If you would have seen Judas walking down the street with Jesus, you would have said, "Wow, I want to be like him." Right, exactly. He was in the he was in the in the deal. All right, last few verses, verse seven and eight says, "Let me find it. There it is." Then said Jesus, "He's going to uh, praise Mary first. He says, "You let her alone. Against the day of my bearing, has she kept this?" That's a difficult sentence. I think that it's saying that she has kept this ointment for the day of. My bearing. When when someone was buried, I think we talked about this before, they wrapped them in cloths and they anointed them with different spices and perfumes. It was not really to preserve them, but just kind of keep the stink down. And so uh, she was anointing him for his burial. And that's why, because of what he said right there, that's why I think Mary had some, because she was the one that was sitting at Jesus' feet. She was the one learning from Jesus, hearing his teaching. And that's why I think she kind of, she, she kind of had a little insight as to Jesus' mission, that he was going to die, you know, that he was coming to die. And that this whole supper, this whole thing was kind of planned so that Mary could do this. You know, they were all playing their parts so that Mary could come and she could anoint his body for um, for burial. She understood his death. And he told her, basically, just you need to leave her alone because she's doing what's right. She's giving to me. She's treasuring me. She's devoted to me. <coughs> And it says, verse 8 says, For the poor always you have with you, but me you have not always. He criticizes Judas's priority. Now what does that mean? Judas said, let's give it to the poor. And Jesus, was, Jesus said, you've always got the poor with you, but you don't always have me. What would be an application that we could take from that? Should we not help poor people? No, that's not what he's saying. Huh? We shouldn't support them. support them. Well, we shouldn't support them. I, I agree with that. I don't know if that's what he's saying right here in this passage. He's just basically saying, you know, I'm, I'm here now. You need to worship me. You know, I am the priority. 
Right. Jesus is the object of our devotion, our service. Is it good to help poor people? Absolutely. But we don't just help poor people to be helping poor people. We help poor people because we're ministering for Jesus. Does that make sense? There's a difference between... That's why you get so many people today that are caught up in social programs. The gospel and the work of the church is not social programs. It's not... It's not helping people uh, that don't have enough to eat and all those things in and of itself. It is ministering to their needs so that we get a chance to minister to them spiritually. Does that make sense? I don't, if, if, if Michelle's hungry, I don't feed Michelle just and say, well, we did some good God work today. I feed Michelle to meet that need so then I can come and feed her spiritually, give her the gospel. Now, whether she accepts it or not, it's not up to me. That's just what I do. And Jesus said, you will always have the poor with you. That goes for, I mean, that's always. Anytime, as long as the world is spinning, as long as we're here, there will be poor. There will be destitute. There will be suffering people. And that is part of the ministry that we do. But we don't do it just to help them. I, I like to, I told a person one time when I started working, the hospital, you know, it's a county-owned hospital, and there's rules as to how far you know. You can't just bust in somebody's room and say, "Hey, you on hell? You on Jesus?" You can't do that. You know, you gotta you gotta be subtle with you know with it. There's all kind of different people, all kind of different beliefs. You know, you gotta you gotta respect all those things. And one of my biggest fears when I started was basically I didn't want to I didn't want to just. Uh, Let's, I didn't want to minister to somebody in such a way that they would just have a better life to go to hell for. See what I mean? If, if so-and-so is hungry and needs help, or if they're hurting and need help, I can come and I can talk to them. I can help them with their need. I can make them feel better. I can counsel them. But in the end, really all I've done is I've made their life better, a better place to go to hell from. Because I haven't given them the gospel. haven't given them the, the news about Christ. So really, what have I done? I mean, nothing. I've given them and I've, I've you know, uh, helped them in their life. I've made life a little better for them. Maybe help them with their, you know, thinking. Maybe help them with things to eat. Things to, you know, give them a job, whatever. But the reality is if I haven't given them the gospel of Christ. If I haven't given them Jesus. Are you not allowed to? I am allowed to. But uh, if someone is of a different faith, I'm not allowed to argue and try to convert them. Now, if somebody's like, yeah, please pray with me, I can say, you know, you, you know, make sure that, you know, Jesus, you know, Jesus and all that kind of stuff. But like if I walk into a room with Jehovah's Witness or a Muslim, I'm not allowed to tell them why they're wrong, basically. Okay. So anyway, last verses and then we're, we're gone. It says, uh, much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. Because that by reason of him, many of the Jews went away and believed on Jesus. So Lazarus is in the crosshairs, about to be killed. Why? Because he was raised from the 
Because Jesus raised him from the dead. It's like, dang, you know, you can't win for losing. And so you die and you get brought back to life and folks want to kill you and put you back. And so they wanted to kill Lazarus because his life, his life testified to who Jesus was. See what I mean? Just the fact that he's breathing testified to who Jesus is because Jesus brought him back from the dead. And so people were coming to Bethany. Jerusalem and Bethany were close to each other. People were coming out of Jerusalem, coming to Bethany, just to see this man that had been resurrected. You know, not, not necessarily even not knowing that Jesus was there. They were coming to see this man who was living a resurrected life. And that is one of the ways that we, above all things, can treasure Christ uh, above all things is by living a resurrected life, so to speak, in a, such a way that when people see you, when people see us, they know that, that Jesus has done something. In his life, Jesus has. Jesus has. They want to see. They want to see you. And it says that many of the Jews came to see Lazarus, and they were going away to believe in Jesus. Lazarus was the testimony. So Martha served Mary, devoted herself in worship, and 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 gave extravagantly, extravagantly to Christ. And Lazarus was a witness. To the power of Christ and what he did to raise him from the dead. The evidence of your treasure. Lazarus was a testimony. Um, the resurrected life that you live, it'll produce two things always. What two things were they? One was persecution. They wanted to kill Lazarus. And the other was fruit. People were going away and believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. Not because Lazarus was a great preacher or a great person or somebody who helped a bunch of people, or, but because Jesus had done something in Lazarus. Jesus had raised him from the dead. And when Jesus raises you from the dead and he raises me from the dead, there's evidence in our lives because of it. Okay? We always examine, examine the evidence in our lives. That makes sense? So you got four people here. You got Martha, who served. You got Mary. What'd she do? She gave. She gave. She was devoted. She loved him more than, you know, her own dignity, her own money, whatever. Then you got Judas. What he loved? Himself. He loved himself. And then you got Lazarus. And what did he do? He was a testimony. He was a testimony to Christ. So we need to be like Mary, Martha. And Lazarus. And if we're like Mary and Martha, you'll automatically be like Lazarus. Does that make sense? If you're serving and devoted to Christ, people see it and you'll be a witness and you'll be a life for Christ. Yeah, when they find out that, that, that you live a life like Christ or you try to, all of a sudden you're under their microscope. Oh, yeah. I mean, every little thing you say and do and you know, from there on out. Can and will be used against you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And that's not to say that you're always going to be perfect in front of right. people. The best, the best thing, I'm telling you, one of the greatest testimonies that you can have in front of somebody is when you screw up royally and then you go to them and apologize and say, I'm so sorry. 
That's not what Christ would have me to do. And so we're not just talking about living a perfect life and being just uh, a saintly whatever person in front of. We're talking about being the, you know, we're talking about living out the convictions that you live in. When you mess up with your kids or with your parents or with your whatever, you know, you go to you go to them. You say, look, that's not what I'm supposed to be. That's not what I'm supposed to do. It's not what Christ is called. That's one of the greatest testimonies that you can have with people. So it's not the pressure of be perfect because everybody's watching you. It's not all about that. You live your life and you live it for Christ and guess what? You're going to screw up. Everybody is. You're going to mess up. But the greatest testimony that you can have when you do those things is you go and you make it right with that person and you tell them what you're trying to be, what you're trying to accomplish, what kind of standard you're living toward and apologize for not meeting that standard. That, that in itself is a great testimony with people. Does that make sense? So don't go away thinking, oh, I've got to be perfect because everybody's watching me. No, just live your life. And when you screw when you screw it up, just like we all do, you go and you humble yourself before them and tell them, tell them the story. Does that make sense? Okay, let's pray. Lord, we love you. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that you've given us the gospel. And in that gospel, Lord, we're perfect because of you. Thank you that we can come on this 